Dear congregation, our scripture reading will come from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which you'll be able to find on page 1318, 1318 in our Pew Bible. Before we read 1 Corinthians 10, I just want to remind us of the passage which we read this morning from Hebrews 13. And Hebrews 13, we find there that, uh, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar for which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. And explain that in the sense that the foods of all of the Old Testament sacrificial system had really no profit in themselves other than that they pointed to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if now these Jewish Christians are tempted with Judaism to think that these foods are still important for their spiritual life and spiritual grace, that they're not going to find any strength in them. As a matter of fact, if they go and participate in this, they really have no right at all to eat of the food that we have, the spiritual food, namely Jesus Christ. And we find that also set before us in 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, I want you to especially think about that as we read especially verses 16 through 22 and In particular, I'll just read one verse, verse 20. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? And he says that because of verse 19. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? And so we find there all of that bread and all of those sacrifices that were made to idols, they would profit nothing to anyone who ate of them. And so, but we have a spiritual feast in Christ Not because of the bread in the way of the Lord's Supper or the wine in the way of the Lord's Supper, but because we remember the spiritual significance of it. And that, namely, is the sacrifice of Christ on the altar of the cross. And so that will help frame our understanding of what the sacraments are as we look at the sacraments uh, this afternoon. Let's hear God's Word. 1 Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, 
who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one speak his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is solid in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. I'd like to also confess with the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25, as to the teaching of the sacraments. Lord's Day 25, question and answer 65 through 68. And you find it on page 53 in the back of the Psalter. Question 65. Since then we are made partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith only, where does this faith proceed from? Answer, from the Holy Spirit, who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. Question 66. What are the sacraments? Answer, The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof He may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the Gospel, namely, that He grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Question 67. Are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end? that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Answer, yes indeed. For the Holy Spirit teaches us in the Gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ which He offered for us on the cross. Question 68. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant or Testament? Answer, Two, namely, holy baptism, and secondly, the holy supper. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, acknowledge this will be a bit 
more of a, a topical sermon dealing with the sacraments. However, we will indeed uh, see this uh, so as we make some references to 1 Corinthians 10 and Hebrews 13 as we could hear also this morning. But it's very interesting as we turn in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 25 because there we move into another subsection, as it were, of the Heidelberg Catechism. And there it's dealing with the sacraments and our relationship to them and the Word of God by faith. And so Lord's Day 25 defines what the sacraments are in Lord's Day 26 and 7. We have an exposition of baptism and 28 through 30, the Lord's Supper. And you might ask yourself, why are there so many Lord's Days devoted to the sacraments? And I would like to propose two reasons. First of all, it shows us the immense importance of the sacraments to our faith. The sacraments are one of the main ways outside of the preaching of the Gospel that God uses to strengthen our faith. And so they are very important. Especially when the sacraments strengthen the faith of weak people. As as God assures us of His promises and that His promises will never fail. Secondly, there's many... Lord's Days devoted to the sacraments because of much of the controversy that surrounds the sacraments, especially when the catechism was written. And we recognize that wherever God is building up His church and edifying His church and strengthening His church, that Satan will certainly attack. And that has been true, especially in the way of the sacraments. All of the controversies between the Reformers and the Roman Catholics, and even within some of the Reformers themselves, and, and also the Baptists and the and, um, Anabaptists of their day. And I would say even yet today, we have differences between Reformers on how to view the sacraments to some degree. And so we really need to understand clearly what we are referring to when we talk about the sacraments. And so I do see that there is a need here for a more topical sermon on this subject. I generally don't like to always have such topical sermons even as I go through the Lord's um, Lord's days of the Heidelberg Catechism, but really focus on what God's Word is saying. But here... Here we really need to understand clearly the sacraments. And I want to look at that with an understanding of, first of all, their meaning, secondly, their purpose, and thirdly, their dependence. First of all, then, the meaning of the sacraments. And and maybe why it's so difficult to turn in the Bible and find a clear definition of the sacraments is because I'm sure if you've looked through the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, Where would you find the word sacrament? Do you know? It's not found in the Bible, is it? The word sacrament is not in the Bible. And so we're using a term that the early church has has taken, really, as it were, from the world to explain the holy sacraments of God. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so we really need to understand where this word came from. It came from a Latin word, namely sacramentum. And that word means sacred, dedicated, devoted, and it's really taken on the meaning of holy. And so for sacraments, we recognize that these are physical elements that confirm and establish and really assure us of the supernatural work of God. That supernatural 
work of the Lord Jesus Christ in giving Himself for sinners and that supernatural work of the Lord Jesus Christ as He sends forth His Spirit to regenerate dead sinners, making them alive, giving them faith, giving them repentance. And so the sacraments are closely united to Christ and what He has done. And it teaches us how we are united to Christ and upon which basis we are united to Christ and assures us of the sufficiency of Christ's work. They are sacred, dedicated, devoted signs and seals. Holy signs and seals that confirm this. And really, this word, it came from, in its original form anyway, it came from... um, kind of a civil action in a court. And so when there would be this conflict that you would have to take to court, the two parties that were in conflict would both deposit a sum of money, and that would either go to the court itself or to the temple if it was more of an ecclesiastical court, and it would go to a temple priest or to the court And what would happen is the person that was in the right would receive his share of the money back, but the person who was in the wrong, that money would stay in the temple, dedicated to the temple, or it would go to the court that led the proceedings. It was kind of like a bond or a pledge saying, I will be there and I will assure that the debts will be paid. And so this this idea of of this is also in part sacrament. We also recognize that it took on also a military meaning, referring to really the oath of allegiance that you would give as you joined an allegiance of soldiers and you would swear by the flag of that regiment and you would identify with this particular group. It was it was an oath pledging loyalty. And so as the early church had this word at its discretion of sacrament, and these two elements helped them explain the biblical definition of sacrament. That's how this came about as to the two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. As they're brought together, we recognize that it begins with an oath from Christ Himself and His promises that brings us into a covenant relationship with God and we are confirmed as covenanters in His relationship as soldiers in Christ's army. In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are also then strengthened further to carry on this warfare. Both of these sacraments are treasures, as you would think of treasures being taken into the temple in way of the civil action. These are treasures for great good and blessing for our soul when our life is in Christ. The One who is victorious and who is in the right in all things, who is victorious over any conflict. His share becomes our share as as it is confirmed in the sacraments. And even though this isn't a word in Scripture, we recognize very clearly that sacraments are not practices that the church made up and that have evolved over time. Yes, the terminology of sacrament, sacramentum, that, that aspect, that could be. But whole, the holy baptism and the holy supper of our Lord has not been made up by the church, nor has it evolved over time, but has been committed to us by Christ Himself for our good. And so thus we see the importance of sacrament defined as that which is sacred, dedicated, devoted, holy, signs and seals. And that's getting more into the nature of what a sacrament is. As we define it, we also understand that they are signs and seals given by God. And we recognize, don't we, even the children can understand that, that the signs that we find in a sacrament is something that communicates something to us without saying one word. One word. And so if you have uh, 
smoke ascending up into the sky. What's that a sign of? A fire. It's a natural sign. If someone's laughing, you say, well, that's a natural sign of joy. If someone's weeping and crying, that's a natural sign of sorrow. We, we, know, what, we know what these natural signs are because as you pull out your phones and you're texting away, nowadays uh, you text something and somehow your phone tells you which emoji to even use. And so you don't even have to communicate in words. You can just put an emoji in your text and, and you're communicating something. It's a natural sign. And yet, the sacraments are more than just a natural sign. They are an instituted sign. An instituted sign by God. Now, we have instituted signs all around us in our culture as well. I trust if we're going down the road and we come to the library there, and we see an octagonal red sign, we don't even need to read the words on that sign, do we? We know what it means. It's a universal instituted sign in our culture to say, stop. It communicates something, doesn't it? It's instituted by governments in our culture. Almost throughout the whole world. It's the same sign. Well, the elements of the sacrament are both natural, ordinary signs that God has instituted to carry a very specific meaning. A very specific meaning. And so God is telling us something each time we have the sacraments celebrated in our congregation. He's telling us something through what we see, what we smell, what we taste. He's telling us something through these elements. And the message that it communicates is a message of the Gospel. He takes the ordinary natural water in baptism and as it's poured out upon us, it's teaching us something that even as water washes away the filth of the body, so the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ washes away all our sins. It washes away the guilt of our sin, the pollution of our sin. Similarly, in the Lord's Supper, when we take the bread and it is broken, we are eating the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not literally, but figuratively in this bread. It's a sign. His body was broken. And as, as I eat it, it was broken for me. As the wine is poured out, it testifies that Christ's blood was poured out. It was shed upon the cross of Calvary. The Gospel is communicated visibly, clearly, without any words. So simply that a child could even understand it. But they're also seals. Not only are they signs, but they are seals. A seal is something that, that marks the authenticity of a document. Or it confirms and guarantees something. Uh, if you graduated from high school or um, university somewhere or something and you receive a diploma, it has a, a stamp or a seal upon it. And, and that seal shows the realness, the authenticity of this document. It's not a fake. It's genuine. And so also the sacraments, they seal to us that God's promises and His Gospel is genuine. It's real. It's authentic. There's a guarantee in it. And that's especially what we confessed in Lord's Day 25 in question and answer 66. The sacraments are appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof He may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the Gospel. That is, the remission of sin Life eternal based upon that one sacrifice of Christ that He accomplished on the cross. 
God comes to us in the sacrament and he says, this is my I-O-U. This is my promise. And it's guaranteed. The gospel assures us and guarantees us, guarantees to us that God is a God of salvation and He delights in saving sinners. Sometimes we think nothing ever exciting happens in church. And maybe today we think, wow, someone had to exit church and be taken away in an ambulance. That's quite dramatic. And it tells us something, doesn't it? It reminds us of our weakness, of our frailty, and of all the challenges in our life. It tells us something, doesn't it? But you want to know something even more exciting that happens in church? Is when God takes natural things and witnesses through them His supernatural grace. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He presents it in such a dramatic presentation of the gospel. Have you ever witnessed that bread being broken? A dramatic illustration of Christ's body broken for me. As the wine is poured out, a dramatic illustration of Christ's blood shed for me. That's exciting. It's a beautiful gift that we have in the sacraments. They're not just some kind of empty rituals that we do. They are God's very means when blessed by His Spirit to cause us to grow in grace and in knowledge of Him and what He's done for us. That's really their purpose. That's really their purpose. Let's see that secondly. The purpose of the sacraments are to be used as means of grace. And remember, that's not means of grace in order to give you grace and to, and to impart grace in your heart and life. That comes through the preaching of the Word, the preaching of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the sacraments are used then to strengthen us in our faith. Notice that especially as we find, found in question and answer 66. They're pointed by God to more fully declare and to seal to us the promise of the Gospel. They aren't to, to work that in our hearts first and foremost. But even if you back up to question 65, we recognize the, the connection between faith and the preached Word and the sacraments by this answer. The Holy Spirit who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Gospel. He doesn't work faith in our hearts through the sacraments. Now, he could on Lord's on a, on a baptism service or uh, during a um, Lord's Supper celebration. He could work faith in your hearts, but not through the sacrament, but through the Word, the preached Word of God. And so, we need to be clear that the purpose of the sacraments are not to impart grace, but they are to strengthen our faith. They're not to impart faith, but to strengthen our faith. And so we, we see that, that indeed it directs us and assures us of that faith that we have in Jesus Christ as our only Savior. And what we need to recognize is that this is important for the Reformers who were writing our Heidelberg Catechism and even our other confessions as well as they would want to distance themselves from the Roman Catholic Church who, who believed that the sacraments did more than that. They would say that the sacraments 
actually imparted grace to its recipient. Those who received the sacraments received faith. They, re- they received grace. But rather, our catechism says, no, no, no. The sacraments are used to strengthen it, to nourish our faith. And that implies that we have to have faith in order to participate in the sacraments. Because they aren't, they aren't for those who don't know Christ. Neither one, baptism nor the Lord's Supper, are to be administered to those who do not know Christ, who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you might say, well, Pastor, you just made a comment there that maybe we go in the face of what we do in way of practice, in way of infant baptism. Ought not children to be baptized then? Children of believers, yes, ought to be baptized. But children of unbelievers ought not to be baptized. Because baptism includes, in the administration of baptism, the child who is separated by virtue of the covenant through the faith of the parents who believe and through the congregation as they become a part of the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are born into a covenant home of believing parents. And as such, ought to be baptized. Just as all those who went through the cloud in the sea, as we find in 1 Corinthians 10, were baptized into Moses, that doesn't mean that they all followed Moses all the way to the promised land. That doesn't mean that they were all saved. Matter of fact, many perished in the wilderness. But they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate of that same spiritual food and that drank of that same spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. And yet, with many of them, God was well, not well pleased. And they're left for an example for us not to presume upon the sacraments or upon any sort of ritual that would identify us with anyone. And so therefore, therefore we recognize that children indeed ought to be baptized, but upon the faith of the parents who promise to raise their children in the fear of the Lord. And so as this happens, then that child also is involved in baptism and can be reminded of God separating them and remind them that they need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they need to repent from their sins. And when they do so, these promises also are for them. There's nothing automatic about it. The Lord's Supper also ought not to be used if there's no faith. As a matter of fact, that's Paul's argument here in 1 Corinthians 10. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Verse 16. And he goes on in verse 16 to say, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread, one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread, namely Christ. We are all united to Christ by faith. And when we drink of the cup of the Lord, and when we eat of the bread of the Lord in the Lord's Supper, we are testifying that we are that one bread and one body. Then he goes on to say, even as Israel had all of these tensions, and you find that even in Hebrews 13, which we saw this morning, those who who, who might want to stay with the legalistic sacrifices and those who would, who would want to 
have fellowship with the people of God and, and identify with them, that, that there, there, there was a conflict. That would be a conflict. And he says, you can't eat of both the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't drink from both the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Absolutely not. The sacraments are not to give faith. Not even necessarily to give identity because that identity is already there even in an infant. But rather, it is to nourish, strengthen, and confirm God's promises. But it's also a beautiful pledge to us. As He seals to us His promise, He also pledges to us. He pledges His his desire that we would grow in grace. That we would be strengthened in our faith. That we would be assured of our faith. He comes to us and He pledges His grace and His love and His mercy toward us in the sacraments. He reminds us that I am a God who is not against you, but a God who is for you. He is a God who has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and repent and believe. He delights in mercy. He delights when His people are living to the glory of His name. And He comes with a pledge of His grace and of His love. Have you ever thought of how transcendent God is? How high and lifted up He is? He's he's so far greater than us. So far bigger than us. He's something we can't even imagine. He's spirit, and we're human flesh, and we try to wrestle with that. Who is God? And what, what is His grace? Who would give His only begotten Son to suffer and to die for sinners while we were sinners? And try to wrap your minds around the grace of God and the magnitude of that grace, and, and you're left with left without any answers. And yet God comes to give us the answers. He comes to to open our eyes, to become sensitive to supernatural things. I think of Nicodemus. Jesus comes to him, you know, who are you? Teacher in Israel and you don't even know what it means to be To be born again? How can you be such a teacher in Israel? And he opens his eyes to show how the Son of Man must be lifted up and all men must be drawn to him. And he does so through pictures. And I think of how Jesus does that so often in in his parables and, and his teachings. But here he comes and he takes supernatural things and he makes them real and tangible. He identifies with our lack of sensitivity to spiritual things. And He comes with water. He comes with bread. He comes with wine. To show us the Gospel so that we would more and more embrace it with a believing heart. He comes to those who are slow to believe. Those who can't hardly overcome their unbelief. Those who say, Lord, I believe. Just help my unbelief. And He says, here I am. I'm going to show you in the sacraments my means to cure your unbelief. Your slowness to believe. He he knows our indwelling sin and our sinful nature and and, and all of the temptations and trials of of this life. And and yet, even as he says here in 1 Corinthians 10, there's no temptation that that's a comment for man, but God is faithful. He, he will not allow you to be tempted more than that you are able. He'll provide a way of escape. And one of these ways of escape is to remind us in and through the sacraments. 
of His mercy and, and His love for sinners who are prone to halt and to, and to stumble so often. Those whose faith falters so often like Peter as he's walking on the waves and he's looking at Jesus and, and, and he's, he's walking on the water and as he takes his eyes off Jesus and looks at the storm clouds, he begins to sink. So also the sacraments lift us up out of that water to set our eyes again on Jesus Christ in a simple way. It's the amazing grace and mercy of our condescending God. But these sacraments, they have its purpose to strengthen and nourish our faith, but, but they are always dependent. And that's what I want to look at thirdly. They're always dependent upon the Word of God. The sacraments are closely related to the Word of God. They cannot be held without the Word of God. They can't take place without the Word of God. They're not above the Word of God. Again, this kind of goes against what the Roman Catholic Church would, would teach also, is setting the sacraments above the Word of God, especially the Mass. But our confessions completely undermine that. And the Word of God doesn't have any place for that either. But rather that the sacraments are joined to the Word. They don't stand alone. And when they come with the Word, there's blessing and there's nourishment. And there's a strengthening of faith. Now that in no wise means that the Word of God is insufficient in itself or inadequate. Nor does it mean that the Word of God doesn't communicate everything about the Gospel. You could, you could be saved by the preaching of the Gospel alone and never partake of the sacraments. And yet, the sacraments are such a blessing to grow in childlike faith in our Lord. Probably the best illustration I've heard in the sacraments and their dependence upon the Word. It's like God coming to us with His storybook. He's just coming and He's sitting alongside us like a parent. Taking His child alongside. And, and you, you, do you pull out... What book do you pull out? Do you pull out uh, Brockle's Theology? with that little child and say, here, Brockle is talking about this and Brockle is talking about... No, you, you pull out that child's storybook and on one page it has all the words and, and a nice picture to illustrate those words on the other side, don't you? That's what's going to communicate with the child. You're not going to throw him a difficult theology book. So also God comes to us his children, with his child book. And he opens up his word and he tells us about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he shows us the bread which is broken, the wine that's poured out, the water that is sprinkled or poured upon to show us and to teach us the gospel. He does so that appeals to not only our eyes and our ears, but our, all of our senses. He affects our taste, our smell, our hearing, our seeing, our touching. I think it was probably... 2009, maybe, we first took our children to Niagara Falls. And um, yeah, you see pictures of Niagara Falls in, in a magazine or book. You hear all about all the different statistics of it. And when you go to Niagara Falls, of course, it was in seminary in those days, and 
wasn't a, a lot of abundance of money. And so we couldn't afford the parking close to the falls. So we, we realized that's $20. We're going to go park somewhere else. And so we ended up not being able to see the falls as we drove in. So we were parked quite a ways and we walked alongside the falls. And you come closer and you can start to hear it. As you get closer, you can see the water and the mist rising up off the falls. As he even got closer, you didn't even hardly see it yet. And the wind was just right. It was blowing some of that mist over you and you could feel it. And then you would come around the corner there and you could see it. Wow. It is amazing. It's huge. And then we took that money that we saved for not parking and we went in that little boat that goes underneath close to the falls. And then you could feel the power of it. It affects you in a whole different way, doesn't it? You have a different appreciation. And so also in the sacraments, God gives us a different appreciation of who our Savior is. You see, in the sacraments, we don't get a different Christ. We just get Christ better. Simply put, He comes to us as clear as anyone never could. And He shows us His grace, His mercy, and His love. His faithfulness. That's why they're dependent upon the Word of God. Dependent upon the Holy Spirit giving us grace to receive the blessing from it. And they're dependent upon Christ Himself instituting them. Notice, our catechism puts that. How many sacraments are there? Two. Only two. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because these are sacraments that Christ has instituted for His people. Sacraments are dependent upon the Word, upon the Spirit, and upon Christ Himself. We could talk a lot about the sacraments. And we hope to. Not only talk about them, but also to witness in the celebration of the Lord's Supper in a couple weeks. And witness in a few weeks the baptism of a covenant of covenant children. May it bring us to a place that humbles us to recognize God's great condescension to come and to show us in an amazing way His supernatural grace. And by faith, through word and sacrament, that we would believe and receive blessing from them. I just think of how terrible of a thing it is for those who despise the Word of God, who despise God's means of grace and the very power of God unto salvation, who despise Christ. What a terrible thing. you ever thought of that? We know in Scripture it says, blessed are those who hear and do the Word of God. And cursed are those who refuse and rebel against the Word of God. So also it is in the sacraments. He calls us to repent and believe. And then He calls us, do this in remembrance of of me. 
Oh, dear congregation, in keeping God's commandments, God's instruction, do this in remembrance of me. There is great reward. There's a rich blessing of spiritual nourishment, spiritual growth in this life and in preparation for the life to come. Let us appreciate the wonderful gifts that God has given in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize how insensitive we are to the things of God. How insensitive we are to the supernatural. Lord, we pray that you would take the supernatural and open our eyes to see the grace that you communicate to us to strengthen our faith. And go with us in the upcoming weeks in preparation for the Lord's Supper. Lord, that you would prepare us to partake of that Holy Supper of the Lord. And that we would do so as being many, yet one bread and one body, all partakers of that one bread, namely Christ. O Lord, go with us as a congregation as we witness also the sign and seal of baptism that You would strengthen us as a congregation, knowing that just as the water washes the filth of the body, so the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins and the promises to You and to Your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. O Lord, bless Your Word and sacrament to us. Lord, as we leave this place, we ask one more time that you would be with our dear sister Jessica too. We don't know the complete situation. Just pray, Lord, that you would care for her and guide all who are involved in extending that care to your honor and to your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.